You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, the goal for today, um, I want to go through Brian Gutekunst's press conference, and then I want to get back to our defensive coordinator, Jeff Halfley. I think um, I think a lot of the big questions have kind of been answered. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of debate about where to look uh, with me internally, especially. That's always the case with these guys because they have so much different experience. Where are they drawing from? What is the best picture of what they do? It sounds like to me, uh, I guess we're just jumping into Halfley real quick. This isn't the main thing anyways, but just kind of where I'm at with it. It sounds like to me that, you know, for example, OSU versus Boston College, like where do you put your eyes or, you know, San Francisco or whatever. But when you look at, because it sounds like most people are doing breakdowns on Boston College. I went and watched Ohio State because he kind of had his hands physically on Ohio State as opposed to Boston College. But from a 30,000 foot view, it doesn't sound like there are major differences. What we learned within five minutes of hiring the guy sounds like it applies to both, right? They're 4-3, man coverage, middle field close, defenses. Now, Specific nuances beyond that, I don't know. But the problem is specific nuances beyond that are likely to change anyways um, based on going from college to the NFL and and things that he's learned from and grown from over the years, things he's going to continue to learn and adapt from. I guarantee he's going to be talking to Sala and, and Matt LaFleur and all these different guys trying to get as much information. And he has been. I mean, that was part of the thing we'd listen to it in terms of, or I listened to anyways, in terms of his interviews. Oh, no, we, I, we played that on the podcast, but um, just talking about like when he talks to his his NFL friends. So they, they stay in touch. They talk all the time. There's going to be some tweaks and changes. So I kind of feel like as much as we can try to dig into the real nitty gritty, once you get past the big picture, you're kind of digging into stuff that's potentially, I won't say definitely, but potentially irrelevant because outside of the the real bare bones structure, I don't know that we can 100% count on any of the other stuff to stay intact. It's fun to discuss anyways, and I'm sure there are ways to um, try to hypothesize in terms of these are the things that he likes to do, and maybe an NFL adaptation of that is this, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, you wonder if maybe instead of single high, you see more cover three, which is a little bit more prevalent in Dallas and San Francisco and those kinds of places. But they also employ a lot of zones, so there might be more zone. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if Halfley knows at this point. I, I, I honestly don't think he does. He has his core concepts and beliefs, and he's going to collaborate with um, with Matt LaFleur, and they're going to figure some stuff out. But I, they're, they're probably a long way off from that because Halfley right now is getting in the building. He's shaking hands. He's, you know, ta- reaching out to players, talking to them. He's got to sit down with with the current defensive staff, do interviews, call around to his buddies, which I want to start talking about today is is um, potential hirings, because I do think there's going to be some turnover and we can, I suppose we should touch on that too, because I'm going to forget because it's not officially in my notes. But the two things that that caused me to rant yesterday, number one, 
their quote-unquote friendship, and number two, the possibility of keeping the staff. Now, to be clear, I mentioned that the reports seemed stupid to begin with, but it turns out that that was the, the reality. Talked a little bit yesterday about where the reports for the, the staff came from. It sounds like, and I don't know, but it sounds like a lot of the reports about them being really good friends was also mostly just acquaintance-based stuff. As like it goes on more and more and more, I, I forget exactly, but you're, you're starting to see more and more like reputable people, I guess, saying that those things were kind of exaggerated. But number one, it sounds like um, they're, they're acquaintances the same way that Matt LaFleur is acquaintances with literally hundreds of coaches. But Tom Silverstein has been kind of going on a tirade today. A lot of people are mad at him because he was a little bit mean, but I'll leave that for other people to get upset about. He did actually clear up both of those things pretty resoundingly. So one of the things Tom Silverstein said, he says, for what it's worth, Lafleur and Halfley aren't close friends, as some have reported. He knows Halfley through his brother, Robert Sala, and Kyle Shanahan, all of whom worked with Halfley. They know each other, but weren't ever on the same staff or guys who spoke often. So official confirmation, they're not close. They, they barely know each other. They're casual acquaintances. They've talked a couple times. And then on the other side of it, here is what Tom Silverstein wrote in part in an article uh, yesterday or whatever. Halfley's hiring will likely mean some changes on the defensive staff. Now, I read that and was like, okay, here we go with freaking likely again. That doesn't mean anything. Goes on to say, Lafleur has told the assistants they are free to explore other options, a source said, but he probably will have to sit down with Halfley to find out how many coaches he wants to bring in from the outside. Then it says, when Barry was hired, Lafleur kept everyone on staff and didn't let Barry bring in people he knew and trusted. Now, I would love, again, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not going on my little tirade here. I would love to know why he did that. I don't understand it. I really don't. Leaving that aside, when Lafleur goes to the entire defensive coaching staff and says, hey, you guys are free to go look for other jobs if you want. Like, no big deal. I won't be mad or anything. <laughs> that's, that's sort of telling. So I don't know how much confirmation that is or isn't, but I don't think if your plan is once again to say, hey, Halfley, you can come in here, but you're not bringing anybody with you. Why in the world would you go to your defensive coaching staff and say, hey, you guys are free to go look for other jobs? How about just so you know your jobs are safe and we're planning to bring all of you back? If you're not, you know, if you're looking for opportunities elsewhere, though, please let me know. Something along those lines. You don't just open with, hey, I mean, if you want to go somewhere else. I'll, I'll write you a letter of recommendation for sure, for sure. But anyways, it sounds like, you know, we got some big changes coming to the defense. That does not mean, like, never going to see anything Joe Barry's ever done ever. Does not mean zero zone. It doesn't mean we're, they're never playing off. In fact, that Ohio State game I watched, like, it was right before halftime. It was against Michigan State, if you're interested in finding it. Like, call it a minute and a half left. I think it was second and four, maybe second and two, I don't know. And they're playing probably five yards behind the stick. Sure enough, they gave up a pass beyond the sticks. It's just a thing, man. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't know why you do it. I'm sure Joe Barry can explain it. I'm sure every defensive coordinator can explain what the thought process is on that. I don't sure freaking know what it is, but I, I just I just need everybody to be prepared because what's gonna happen is there's gonna be really sky high expectations never making mistakes, very aggressive, sacks all the time, picks all the time, just bump and run, 
Like they're toe to toe, which by the way, he's, he's already said like they, he likes to give them some cushion, not like 12 yard cushion that you're paranoid of, but like they need a little bit of space to operate so they can read and react what what the guy's going to be doing. So they're not going to be toe to toe freaking you know, eyelash to eyelash. I, I guess all I'm saying is I, I think there's a potential for this to be a very good thing, but I think there's also a potential for this, the expectations to go absolutely through the roof. Right, we're gonna see. I mean, there's, there's probably not gonna be as many guys dropping into coverage because it's four three, and that's more of a three four function. So you you probably get your wish there. You look at you know, I remember looking at like Daniil Hunter. He did it like once in his career when he was a four three, and then they go to a three four, and all of a sudden he's got to do it more. But you know, I I am the the only thing I can really think of is I, I remember when there was all the hype about possibly getting a Baltimore guy over the weekend, and I watch that Baltimore game and I just remember watching it and just thinking it's just a defense you know what I mean like it's it's different and it's philosophy it does it it you know it has some more aggressive tendencies and it does a little bit more of this a little bit less of this but it's freaking defense and defense wins and defense loses and defenses sometimes they bring blisters that don't get home and they get picked apart and like there's just there's no such thing as perfect so I'm just putting this caveat out there now like nine months early (laughs) her six, seven months or early, whatever, because I know what's coming. And I think there's every reason to be excited so long as we don't set our expectations too high. Teams will get first downs. They will complete passes. They will be able to run the ball. They will score touchdowns. There will be games that we lose because the other team scored a lot of points. Because you know what? That happens to every single football team in the entire NFL every single year with unbelievable rarity that something other than that happens. Maybe like the 85 Bears didn't give up any points in any games or something. I don't know. And then there were a couple teams that didn't lose in the regular season. And the, the, the Miami Dolphins team didn't lose in a season. So there's that. Which would be great. But I'm just saying. Assuming we understand rightly what's actually happening. That it's going to be proportionally all these things that you want are going to happen. Then I think that there's, there's room for happiness. Alright, why don't we get into the uh, press conference. It's a lot of sort of general things going on. You know, hey, really proud of the team down the stretch. Jordan looked really good. When did you know he was the guy? Oh, you know, I don't know. He's good at stuff. Good job, blah, blah, blah. But then we got to a question of um, Jordan Love's long-term deal this offseason, and here's what Brian Gutekunst had to say. Yeah, you know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll go down that road. You know, I think um, certainly I think that'll be important for our football team to have some stability there. Um, you know, Jordan and his rep- representation, I think they, you know, they're really good people. So we'll start working towards that, you know, sometime this um, next couple months. So the answer basically is yes, he will be getting a contract. This is not obviously massive breaking news, but for any potential possible conspiracy theories that either now or in the future will arise about maybe they don't want to pay him, maybe they're going to trade him. He, he explicitly said they are going to try to get that done. Obviously, he can't say, yes, that's going to happen because he doesn't know. They haven't started those conversations yet, et cetera, et cetera. But he even kind of quelled the idea that something bad could happen on the other end of it because he talked about, you know, they're really good people and, and we think that they're, you know, we'll, we'll be able to get something done. So obviously, the question really just is the number, right? And I don't know what it is, but I don't think we're all going to be massively upset about it. I think um, generally when these contracts happen, I think very rarely do we sit back and go, holy crap, dude, that is a lot more than I thought. I don't know how we're going to pay for that. Uh, skipping a couple questions down, the question was asked, where are you at basically with Jair and that whole situation? 
yeah, those are, those things are difficult, um, and those are tough. But at the end of the day, you know, I think um, it allowed us all to kind of reset. And I think um, you know, really, really proud of the way Jair responded to that, and uh, I really think that's going to help us moving forward. So, you know, I mean, it's first of all, it's possible that he's just talking about the incident, but the way that he said that made it seem like. It wasn't just that. I mean, it could be. I mean, it could be that something happened and it was. it's unfortunate anytime you have to like suspend a player. It just kind of feels to me as though maybe it's talking about a general issue. You know, those things are difficult. Those things are tough. Rather than just saying like, yeah, that, that, was, that was an unfortunate issue. You know, like, yeah, it was a thing that happened. We worked through it. It's fine. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think the idea that there was some real problems there with Jair and I don't necessarily even mean Jair like he was the problem, but I, I, it seemed like there were some toxic locker room issues. Jair was a part of it in some kind of a way. In other words, he was he was unhappy. He didn't like something. Certainly, in, t- in, in fact, one of the things that gets said later on in this, I think, may play into it. But you know, there's also been a lot of talk about people being unhappy in the way in which their injuries are dealt with. He's obviously been battling through some injuries. Uh, we talked about Devondre, uh, the, the, that he was seemingly upset that you know he fought through injuries and then goes out and played and, and plays and then gets blamed for you know being the reason they lost. It's like, well, then f you. Why why am I playing hurt just so I can get blamed for all your mistakes? I'm out there trying to help the team. You understand I'm hurt. You want to put the game on my shoulders. You're the idiot. <laughs> but possibly wanting to play people that are still hurting or. Whatever the case may be, in fact, let me see if I can find... I'm just going to skip to it real quick. So here is uh, a little bit later on, Brian Gutekunst asking the question, essentially, what are you looking for in a strength and conditioning coach? And he says, Matt LaFleur will touch on that, but just listen to what he had to say. I'll let probably Matt touch on that the next time you guys talk to him. But um, you know, I do want to say, you know, you know, Chris Kizzy is an outstanding strength coach and um, couldn't have more respect for him. And, um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, it's just, it's... Sometimes there needs to be a different voice, um, but um, I'll let Matt kind of touch on what he's looking for there. But um, certainly, that's a big part of our our process. Um, those guys um, have a lot of impact on our players, um, and certainly our players um, um, buying into what we're doing here is very, very important too, as well. All right, think about that. He didn't really want to comment on anything, and he wanted to let Matt Lafleur handle, you know, what it is that they're looking for in that. In that department, and I, I mentioned, I don't think that it's just the hamstring thing. It seems like there's more to it than that. And I did talk about guys not returning from injury, but there is a lot more to a strength and conditioning coach than just that. And you know, as he bumbles through, you know, you know, I, uh, hoo, ha, hoo. at the end, he kind of settles on what you know. They have a, a lot of impact on our players, and our players' buy-in is important. And again, we know Devondre was upset about his injury status. And his usage on the team and all that kind of stuff. And, and like, well, I'm not playing because I'm hurt and everything. Like, it became kind of a big problem. And it sounds like I, I really genuinely believe that weird dust up that came with Devondre and Jair and all that stuff, to some degree, the strength and conditioning is tied into that. Because taking Brian Gutekunst's words, I don't think there was buy in. I don't think that there was trust. You got a bunch of guys that I, I think they just didn't like him. And, and he said that early on. Sometimes you just need a new voice. And I think that more or less has to do with it. They didn't like him. They didn't trust him. I, 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 and I'm not speaking from anything that I know. This isn't a report. And I know it's a serious thing to say. But that's the impression that I'm getting. 
There seemed to be a disconnect in terms of trusting the process, getting healthy, playing when you're ready. And, and it seemed like the guys maybe felt like they were being pushed too early. Maybe they were being worked too hard. They're being asked to do things that they didn't think were right. And then on top of that, again, playing when they probably thought they shouldn't have been playing and then getting thrown under the bus for not performing. And so you're sitting in a situation right now where you have an entire group of people that really don't trust your staff. And as Brian Gutekunst said, he's a talented guy. We like him. But this for this particular team, there's no buy-in and there's no trust. And we can't have that here because we need that. And I think to some degree that extends to Barry. They don't, at the very least, they don't trust the scheme. They don't trust that, uh, where did I just read that from? It's a prominent coach. He was talking about Halfley. It might not, it wasn't Sala. I don't know. And I'm not going to go try to find it right now. I'm sure I'll find it later when it's completely irrelevant. But there was a, there was a quote in there about guys need to know that they can trust you. You know, guys, guys have their entire reputations on the line. Their entire lives are on the line. Their contracts are on the line. Whether or not they get this big pile of money, they're trying to protect that. They're trying to earn, and they got to know that you're the guy that's going to take me there. And you got guys trying to get big paychecks, and they're on a defense that's dysfunctional, making them look like a piece of crap. I mean, let, let's, let's just say hypothetically, because again, there's, there's been, especially on Packernet After Dark, a lot of hemming and hawing about poor Joe Barry. And again, I'm not trying to be mean, but let's just say hypothetically, that Darnell Savage is a talented guy. But because of the dysfunction that was happening on the Packers' defense slash bad fit, instead of Savage getting a sizable contract, I'm not even talking top of the market, let's say he was in line for an eight, nine, ten million million contract as a young, talented, not necessarily elite, but good safety. He ain't getting that now. He's not getting it. He might not even be back in Green Bay. He might be out there trying to just find a job somewhere on like a one-year, $1 million deal just to prove that he can do something. That hurts his pocketbook. And so guys get pissed. When things aren't working, they get pissed because you're not just, it's not just a competitive thing where it's like, I want to win and I'm not. You're, you're, you're effing with my money, bro. This is my life. This is my livelihood. And same goes for strength and conditioning. When, when, you're, when you're putting me out there and I'm hurt, not only is it messing with me, making me look like worse than I actually am, but you're risking me going out and getting hurt long term. You know, you got guys like Stokes, like, bro, I haven't played in two years. Like, I know it's a serious injury, but like, what are we doing here? I mean, David Bakhtiari, what an absolute cluster that was. What a, what a disaster. They got him out there training real hard, come to find out at the end of the year, yeah, I guess we just really needed to give him a break. Well, then why was he out on the field training all the time? And then we put him out there for one week against Detroit, his knee blows up, and we don't get him in the playoffs. Like, friggin' A, dude. So even if, you know, you can say it's not all on the defensive coordinator or, or the strength and conditioning coach's fault or whatever, perception still matters. And I think that that's true for defensive coordinator also, because it's just, it might just be a voice thing. When he speaks, they don't listen anymore. And if that ever became the thing, and, I, and I'm not saying it is, I'm just, we're just talking hypotheticals here. If that ever becomes a thing, the guy's got to go. He just has to. He might be the, the most perfect defensive coordinator. That sucks. He's going to be a perfect defensive coordinator somewhere else because he lost the locker room, and we can't keep him here. So anyways, I did find those things interesting in how I thought that they very likely tied together, and I think some of those conversations with Jair had a lot to do with that, and and, and understanding and actually listening to what the players are saying about some of the situations, and I I think the players are going to respect the living. I mean, probably more so than firing Joe Barry, potentially firing... um, Gizzy, Rizzy, whatever his name was. I mean, if that really was a major point of contention, then then this is Brian Gutekunst stepping up saying, I'm listening. I hear you. We're going to make a big decision because 
it's important that you guys trust that we're doing what's best for you. And that's a, a big gesture by the organization. And then the follow-up to uh, the whole Jair thing is, is, did you ever consider trading him? No, season. No. No. Which, you know, again, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I said the same thing, that there's no way that we're going to trade him. I more or less said that, but things started to get so weird. Um, you just, you don't really know, but at least we can finally put that nonsense to bed. Because I know there is a corner of Packers Twitter that that either wants or genuinely believes that every single player on this team is getting traded for one reason or we don't have the we don't have the talent we don't have the money we don't have the patience they don't want to be here it's too cold I don't know <laughs> whatever uh, next question was you know did you ever consider bringing in any other kickers and if not why not Yeah I mean we obviously were for for last year he's referring to out all the time but um you know as we went through um the course of the season we were kind of committed to you know going through the ups and downs that a lot of young rookie kickers go through um certainly what what he went through was not anything different than what a lot of guys do um i think as we got towards the end of the season and and we were headed towards the, um, the playoffs and had an opportunity to be in the playoffs certainly something that you know is there, you know, if there had to be a, if there was a veteran option out there, that would have been really good. Then we, we would maybe considered it, but um, there wasn't, he was the best option by far. And we're really excited about where he's going. So there you go. And, and again, this is, this is what I've been saying about Anders Carlson, that they, they are excited about him. Well, how could you be excited? Because their focus is not how good was he going to be in 2023. They looked at his attributes and they said, this is what we think through development he can become. And they're sitting there looking at it going, yep, he's on his way. He's on his way. I mean, obviously, we hope 2023 would have been a little better with some of those extra points, especially. But uh, we're, we're Jack, man. We think he's going to be real good. And I think he means it when he says it. He could be wrong. But just the idea that he's about to be cut, you can just, you can just let that go. Now, again, I still expect there to be some kind of a competition. Do I think it to be a serious competition? No, I think they're going to bring in kickers because they want competition at every position. They're going to bring in kickers just like they're going to bring in guards and tackles and, and uh, you know, defensive ends and linebackers and all kinds of stuff. And, and a lot of the starting guys are going to end up winning those jobs, if not most or all, the exception maybe of a couple uh, high draft rookies. And Anders will be back next year kicking. Next question, do you think Aaron Jones will be back next season? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we'd love to have Aaron back. We're still kind of putting all those things together as far as how we're going to move forward. But I mean, um, he was such a difference maker uh, when he was out there this year. Um, the way our offense was able to move, um, uh, the way he, um, I mean, just he changed a lot of the way we, we operated when he was in there and when he was healthy. I think for us, it's uh, finding a way to keep him out there and keep him healthy. Um, but he was strength uh, and conditioning, you know, not only on the field, but just. And you guys know this. Um, you guys have been around here. I mean, he's such an influential leader in our locker room, and um, he's just really kind of the heartbeat of, of our team. So um, we're certainly that's that's kind of the anticipation is that he'll be back. It's 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 kind of funny because it was like a year or two ago, and it was like I don't think he's coming back. Um, you know, you just you don't pay guys, and he's getting older, and all that stuff's going to be expensive. And then he takes a pay cut to stay, and you listen to Gutekunst talk about the guy and Matt LaFleur talk about the guy, and you realize, like, he's going to be a lifer. Like, there's 
there's a very high probability that that's going to be the case. Now, it's possible that he wants to keep playing beyond his abilities, and we draft some guys that are really good, and his play starts to dip, and he doesn't want to leave. But it just seems like what he does is so... I mean, we know what he does is value. I mean, it's just... It's funny because even as someone who looks at it and it's like, well, you know, I mean, the data is pretty clear on on running and all that kind of stuff. You just, it, it, there's just no doubt about the difference between him and let's just say some other running back that's running for us. That's not to say there aren't other running backs that can have an impact, but man. And then, then on top of that, like he said, just the impact he has on the players and especially in Green Bay, you know, they, they want a certain type of locker room. They want a certain type of player. And you look at how guys play and, and you listen to, I forget who, I think it was Reed talking about how he plays for for uh, for Aaron Jones and, and those kinds of, and he's a rookie. It's not like he's been here for five years and his, the admiration has grown. Like he's been here for a couple months. It's been less than a year. He's been in Green Bay with Aaron Jones and he has that level of respect for the guy. And the other good thing about it too is you have a guy like that and it's hard to go the, go to the dark side. It's hard to not put in the effort and say, I don't want to do this anymore and all that kind of stuff, because you look at it and you realize you're not just letting down the team as a whole and the fans or whatever, which probably don't give a crap, but you're letting down guys like Aaron Jones, you know, and you watch him go out and work and he puts his head down and he doesn't talk bad about people and he, you know, he just does his job. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a good guy to have as just that, you know, that North star, just that, that guy that everybody looks to as the direction that we need to go. That's who I aspire to be someday. Talent, work ethic, attitude, leadership, just the way I interact with people, the way I interact with coaches, the way I interact with fans. And if you can set that precedent where everybody looks to a guy and you have a guy like Aaron Jones that can be that guy, you can't let him leave, man. If for no other reason from a culture standpoint, you can't let that guy leave. And then I think right after that is David Bakhtiari. What do you think are going to be some of the considerations they're going to have to make uh, moving forward with David? Yeah, again, we're still at the very beginning stages of looking at, you know, how we're going to move forward with all that. Um, Obviously, David's been through a really rough stretch with the injury stuff, and he's he's going through a very major um, surgery uh, trying to get back to be able to play. So we're monitoring that. I know he's working his tail off, and, um, you know, we'll kind of, once we get down the road and see where he's at, you know, health-wise, we'll kind of make those decisions. So he didn't say anything, but he kind of did, you know. Um, I mean, listen, we we could just take him at his word and and trust that that's exact. He said exactly what he meant, and he meant exactly what he said. You know, I mean, obviously the thing that stands out is: Did you ever plan on trading Jair? No, never. Um, do you plan on bringing Aaron Jones back? Yes. Do you plan on paying Jordan? Yes. Do you plan on bringing back David Bakhtiari? Well, I don't know. <laughs> And then, you know, his first official like answer of, you know, where his mind went is, look, he's been through some major stuff injury wise. And, you know, it's been pretty brutal. I mean, it's clear that he's pointing in a direction. However, if you were to 100% take him at his word and not try to read between the lines, that does leave the option open that they will monitor David Bakhtiari. they, They will, he will come back and he will be healthy and they will work something out to be able to bring him back. That now that's, especially when you get into the cap stuff, it becomes real iffy. But I just want to be clear that you got two ways of looking at this. One is he refused to answer it and basically is kind of skirting around the obvious answer, which is nah, he's he's out of here. And two is exactly as he said. But the 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 bottom line is though, even if he meant what he said and said what he meant, and he, he probably does to some degree, there's also the question of like, but how much do you actually expect him to be 
healthy enough to where you're willing to work out something with his contract to bring him back. Oh, I don't know, like 0.01%. Like it's, it's low that he's going to bounce back from that injury so that I believe that he can play not just for a little while, but for an entire season and everything else. And, and somehow we can medically determine that that's likely to happen. You know, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, we are, we are almost halfway through. We haven't taken a break yet. So why don't we go ahead and do that now? I'm trying to look and see if we have, oh yeah, we didn't get to any defensive coordinator questions, but we will take a break. We'll come back and uh, go through the rest of these questions. And then we'll quickly switch back over to defensive coordinator right quick. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ryan, uh, you have a new defensive coordinator now. You've invested a ton of draft capital on that side of the ball. What is your vision for that defense and what it should look like in 2020? Yeah, and I thought, you know, I thought, you know, this year there was moments that we were really good, you know, and, um, you know, but I think there's much, much more out there for us. I think I was, um, I thought we played pretty consistent football in the front seven. I think the back end is where we, we probably weren't as consistent as we needed to be, and, um, you know, I'd like that to be short up. Um, yeah, I would like that to be short up too, Downard, and we'll see how that goes, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to take a look at some of our options, Downard, that, uh, whether they should stay or go as, as coaches or maybe just bringing in a DB guy that can kind of clean that stuff up and maybe he can bring in somebody else to replace somebody that shall go nameless downward. Um, but we got to figure that whole situation out. There'll probably be some moving pieces there uh, going into next year. 
Um, but it's <laughs> so kind of like it always is. is you right. want a fast, physical, aggressive defense that um, you know plays sound. And um, again, I thought there were some really, really good moments, particularly late where we were playing some very good football teams and, and they played very well. But um, you know, the consistency is what I always look for. How, how does um, the hiring there impact you as far as picking players in the draft? Do you maybe focus? on different skill sets or positions to kind of do what he wants? Not, not, not a ton. You know, I think, you know, this league's a four two five nickel league, and I think I'm certainly, as Jeff comes in, we're very excited about that, you know, the conversations about kind of how, you know, we're going to want to play, and we obviously through the interview process we had some of those, so, um, and that'll be, a, you know, a work in progress, but, um, you know, as far as how we go about our process and scouting and what we're looking for, probably won't change a ton, um, but those conversations will be had over the next few weeks. So, just to be clear, I want to roll into that second piece there. That isn't to say that there aren't going to be differences because there are, and there, I, I still stand by what I said. I think he's going to go after some defensive pieces um, because the, the fact of the matter is there are going to be some things that are mi- missing that he's going to need to be able to fully get to where he wants to be. I shouldn't even say fully, but I, I guess baseline minimum where certain guys that we need. Um, and it's true. It's, it's, it's a four, two, five, nickel league in other words you know if you look at a a, a base four three compared to a three four and then tell them both to go into nickel the defensive alignments largely look very similar but there is still a base defense and there are still different philosophies that they're going to be operating from and and different roles essentially even though they look the same from an alignment standpoint some of these guys are going to have different roles and responsibilities and one of the things that um, Gutekunst talks about or talked about, I don't remember if we played it already, I'm guessing he would have just said it, but uh, is the idea that they draft guys to be multiple, which that is one of the benefits is if you make some major change, you can expect these guys to be able to handle it. Now, to varying degrees for sure, but it's not like, oh, shoot, we got this safety who is mostly just like an inside the box guy and we need him to play now you know, deep safety and he, he's just not built for that. So now, now we're screwed or whatever. It's, you know, it might not be his biggest strength, but we drafted him cause he can do all that stuff, but they may be looking for some guys that are a little bit more specialized and maybe do some different things. And, um, depending on the urgency of it, high urgency being, I can't do what I need to do without this type of player and you don't have them and low urgency being ideally there's a guy that's, that's, you know, more suited toward this you know, you've got like a hybrid guy that's kind of good at both. I'd rather we had a guy that was just really good at what I need him to do, which would be kind of a, you know, I mean, it, what we have works, we can make it work, but just not perfect. That being sort of on the lower end. So just just my interpretation of it, because I have a feeling a lot of people, oh, no, he said he's not going to change anything because no, he didn't say that. What he's what he's doing is tamping down the idea that they're going to be throwing everything out and trading away all the players and doing some major overhauls. When, of course, that's not the case. But that doesn't mean that they aren't going to be trying to find a couple key pieces to help build out the identity of this particular defense, which I still think is what's going to happen. And this part here also got people a little bit uh, hot and bothered um, talking about the draft picks that he has and the flexibility therein. So, you know, I'm, I'm a, I think we'll have 11. We're expecting about around 11 total. And um, there's never enough for me, as you guys know. But... Um, um, we, we probably have a little bit more volume at the top than we've had in, in, in years past. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it gives us flexibility. It gets us, it allows us, you know, whether it's you just staying and picking, trading, um, moving around, um, 
maybe trading those picks for uh, you know other players outside, you know, veteran players. Who knows? I mean, it just gives us a little bit more flexibility. So that got everybody freaked out. Like, oh my goodness, he said they might trade the pick. Uh, come on, <laughs> come on. Are we that desperate? First of all, he's very obviously just listening to that, just listing all the different things that you can do, right? As though that was never, that's an option every year. It's always an option. And don't give me that, oh, no, no, it's not. They never do that. That doesn't mean it's not an option. It was an option then. It's an option now. It's not an option they, they exercise very often, which is a good thing, by the way. And it's still not an option that's very likely to be exercised. But it is an option, and he's just listing all the options. That, that is the, the biggest non-story from this press conference, is that he said that they could potentially use those picks in a trade to go get a veteran. Bro, he's literally just listing all the different things you can do with picks. That's what he was doing. I mean, we, we, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like just, I think a lot of times we need to stop and think to ourselves, would he even know the answer to that? Like, first of all, would he hint that to you even accidentally? And, and if so, do you think he knows that? Do you think he's got like some kind of a target? Like, Ooh, we're going to package those and get, go get that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. So why would he lay some kind of a big giant hint down this big wink, wink, nod, nod. We're going to go get this guy. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know who's going to be available yet. Most of the free agents are going to get re-signed. And they don't know about what's going on in the draft and, and who they might want. I mean, I'm sure they're going to want to look at that and, and how they want to utilize their picks and maybe wanting to move up and get these guys and those. There's so many different things. that He has no idea if they're going to use it to trade a, for a person. <laughs> Come on, guys. Next question is regarding safety and uh, his thoughts on the draft class and what he wants to do with the position. Um, pretty initially pretty solid at safety, you know, um, uh, as far as the draft class goes and then the free agency class as well. Um, but I think, you know, um, again, a little bit of that'll be determined as we sit down with Jeff and again, kind of his vision for, for what we're going to do on defense, but, um, we're going to have to add numbers there for sure. Um, and I, you know, I think, uh, um, I think more and more in the national football league, those those positions, and along with the nickel position, uh, are becoming interchangeable positions. You know, uh, you ask a lot of those guys, um, and I also think you need to have depth because there's just again, you know, defensive backs get injured, and you have to be able to be able to, uh, to adjust and, and and be able to keep keep playing high level football no matter who's in there. So um, certainly that has our attention. So you know the 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 big answer here and this is what will be applied to everything is we got to sit down and talk to Jeff and figure out how the defense works and what we have and what we don't have kind of going through all the the pieces he's got to sit down and watch the film and the tape and kind of talk to the personnel guys and, and the coaches and, and kind of get a, a get up to speed on you know what they can and can't do and, and work all that kind of stuff out but either way he still answered the question by saying we got to get some numbers there which I think is fair because, I mean, we had a lot of numbers at safety. I remember when we were doing like the initial 53s, it's like, man, there's almost too many safeties. But then there's, there's a difference between quantity and quality. And, and I think that when he's saying we got to get some numbers, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. That's not true. The, the bottom line is they're going to be filling that out. And I have to assume that at least some of that is coming from early to mid picks, not just a, a flurry of late round undrafted guys again. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean everybody's out and they're not bringing Savage back and all that. I don't know. And again, Gutekunst doesn't know yet. I'm sure they have some initial thoughts on what they'd like to do. But, um, you know, I saw, I think it was Darnell Savage posted on social media, the you know, praying hands emoji. 
which of course they do that stuff and it never means anything. But for the sake of having fun with conspiracy theories, I mean, he did that probably shortly after the defensive coordinator called him, right? And he's not going to call him up and say, hey, just so you know, you're not coming back. You suck. Goodbye. Just saying, maybe he had some nice words to say. You know what I'm saying? Big fan of yours. I like your work. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making stuff up. But, you know, I mean, he ended it with saying something to the effect of, you know, it, it certainly got our attention or whatever. In other words, they're they're definite. They, they have to do something. They're not entirely sure what that is yet and, and who stays and who goes. But either way, we, we have to either get numbers or something. But decent seems like a decent draft class and a de- decent free agent class. And we know something has to be done there. We just don't know if it's maybe a minor thing or a major thing. Um, but I, I think it's it's something that we know is going to be dealt with in some kind of a way. Next question pertains to the salary cap. Question that a lot of people are concerned about is, you know, are you going to start cleaning this cap up now? Um, in other words, stop kicking the can down the road quite so much. Here is what uh, he had to say. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, nobody likes to do that, particularly Russ. Um, um, but at the same time, I think that's part of, you know, professional football right now. And that's, you know, if we're going to compete and uh, put out the best team we can year in and year out, there's always going to be a little bit of that um, from a cap management standpoint. Um, but, uh, you know, I think um, it's always hard to, you know, gauge the future and where the cap's going to go, but I think we have a pretty pretty good idea where it's going to go, and we feel we're in pretty good shape right now. I think, you know, when COVID hit, the team we had, trying to keep that together and compete for championships, um, it was the right thing to do at the time. Um and um, but I think we're in a different situation now. So a couple things, because I, I had to kind of sit and think about it for a while. Like, I don't understand what that means. So first of all, there's the covid situation, which obviously hurt everybody. Um, but some teams are in a position where they were able to handle that maybe a little bit differently. You could possibly just start gutting players or whatever. But I think most teams recognized we got to put some stuff on the credit card and wait for this thing to rebound and we'll come out of it eventually. And, you know, what Gutekunst is essentially saying is for us, being a team that was competing, gutting the entire team in the last couple of years of Aaron Rodgers, you know, tenure in Green Bay was really not an option. So they had to do that. Um, but I was really trying to sit and think, like, I don't understand what you mean. That's the way the NFL operates. So if you want to compete, you got to you got to do it. Like, what, what, what? why? Why can't you just have a clean salary cap? And then it, it kind of made sense after a second or two. When you realize, think about this, you know, the salary cap as, you know, everybody gets to build a team and I'm going to give you a hundred bucks. I'm going to give you a credit card. And we're going into this with like some, you know, Dave Ramsey, we don't use debt kind of a philosophy. Well, if the, if the goal is to build a team or build a house or build a whatever with a hundred dollars and everybody else is using credit cards, you're never going to build the nicest house because they're just using more money. And you say, well, that's not true because eventually... You know, next time when we next year, when we build a house, they're going to get a hundred dollars, but they also have to have debt. So they're going to be paying that down. So I, I actually have more money. Well, that's not necessarily true because there's 32 teams and these things are going to ebb and flow. So as one team crashes, you got 10 other teams with, uh, you know, a bunch of money and a, a credit card to put some debt on. So everybody's going to be spending beyond the cap and building teams that you can't build if you stay strictly to the exact amount of money that you are given matching cash and cap or whatever. So I, I think what he's saying is we, we need to try to find a balance to, to stretch it a little bit. And the way in which they want to do that is to try your best to project out how much the cap is going to go up because it's not static. And so if we put a little bit of, of debt, of money, of, of cash, cap, whatever on next year, 
we want to make sure that that doesn't go above the increase so that we kind of step gently into that and really we're kind of in the same spot. And then do the same thing next year. We kind of project out in, in steps. Next year, we think the cap will be here and then here and then here. So if we project out for three years, we want this person's you know cap hits to kind of go up in line with where those those jumps are going to go. And, and again, I think from a purely philosophical, you know, Russ Ball, Brian Gutekunst, Ted Thompson, Ron Wolf, they would love to they would love to just create a rule that says you can't do that. Everybody has to work within the cap. But that's not the reality. And you got some teams being wildly irresponsible. And again, you can simply say, well, let them be responsible, irresponsible because they're going to crash and burn. Fine, but, but they're going to be better than you when they're not crashing and burning. And then when they do crash and burn, again, there's going to be five, six, seven, eight, nine other teams that are just living it up on the credit card. And they're buying up all the guys that you can't get. And they're paying money that you're not paying. Right. And that's the other thing. If you've, how, how can you compete with the contracts when everybody else is going above and beyond the, the realms of, of, what makes sense when they're operating essentially with a bigger pool of money when you project out into the future when they're operating with a bigger pool of money than you are you you can't compete with them anymore as far as how much you're paying guys so you need to try to find a way essentially to work responsibly or act irresponsibly in a responsible manner so how can we kind of borrow from tomorrow in a way that isn't necessarily going to hurt us tomorrow as much as a lot of these other teams that are just being crazy and, and just flaming out. Because we don't want that. We don't want to be the freaking Rams or Atlanta or the Saints. Although the Rams kind of bounce back a little bit. Kind of, sort of. I don't know how. They have no players, but they bounce back. But that was, that was more or less my takeaway as I kind of sat on that for a minute. And like everything, you know, when we get into... Um, when everything becomes a purity test, when everything becomes all or nothing, like all man or all zone you know, four, three, three, four, or whether it's, you know, we, we need to be using motion all the time or anything like that. I think the same thing applies with the salary cap, acting as though you should never spend a single dollar outside of what the salary cap is, is not, I mean, it's, it's, I think in a very simplistic way, it makes a lot of sense. But I think if you really look across the NFL at what's happening, you realize that you can try it. I don't think you can compete. And so you have to adapt. And it's like, I, I know it feels like sacrilege because you're, you're lighting the whole Ron Wolf philosophy thing on fire, supposedly. But I hate to tell you, Ron Wolf would do the same thing. In fact, Ron Wolf was able to do some things when the salary cap was introduced by understanding the way the NFL was going and adapting to it and learning to operate as the best, the, the best operator within the new rules. And that's what Gutekunst needs to do. Not just sit there and regurgitate what was done in the 90s, but to understand where the NFL is today, adapt to it, and be the best at operating within it. Same thing goes for GMs and owners as it does for coaches and everything else. But anyways, I didn't find anything else massively interesting. Is the Super Bowl the goal? Yes. I mean, freaking yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, why don't we do this? I had two things that I wanted to do. We don't have time for two things. Um, why don't I just tell you who our new uh, defensive coaches are going to be. How's that sound? Should we do that after the break? I'll just give you the full list. I got all the answers, and everybody's getting replaced. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. Maybe everyone stays. They're on to the contract, you know. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right. So, we are going to build out the entire defensive coaching staff for Jeff Halfley. Ready? You want to know how I'm going to do it? I'll tell you exactly how we're going to do it. 
Remember we went through yesterday and we looked at uh, Jeff Halfley's whole situation and he made a jump from Rutgers to Tampa Bay. He was a college guy. He went to the NFL for a few years and then went back to college, right? But his first stint in the NFL came because Greg Schiano, the head coach of a college football team, got hired to an NFL team. Now, it's a little bit different because Schiano got hired to be the head coach, but we're going to look at his experience through that process and see who Greg Schiano hired and then go from there. So first of all, um, in uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hierarchy, Bob Frazier was the defensive coordinator that was brought over and he was brought in as a linebackers coach. Now that's interesting because, well, first of all, the guy that you'd love to have is Tem Luckaboo or however you say his name, but he just accepted a job with the, um, the Carolina Panthers. Had he just held on a little bit longer, he could be working here. That was the former defensive coordinator for, um, for Jeff Halfley over at Boston College. Interestingly enough, they also worked together back in Tampa. But anyways, if you look at his current defensive coordinators, there's two of them. There's Azar Abdul-Rahim. He's a DB guy, and he absolutely could be brought in as a defensive backs coach. Entirely possible. He's relatively young. He is 47 years old. He played DB in college. He was an analyst at Alabama, DB coach at Maryland, cornerback coach at Maryland, then defensive coordinator slash cornerback coach at UMass, then a DB coach at Boston College, then assistant head coach slash DB coach slash something else. I don't even know what that is at Boston College. Then co-defensive coordinator, DB coach at Boston College. So he's a fast riser. He's relative. I mean, he's getting up in age a little bit, but he's worked for some big programs. He's risen relatively fast, talented guy, held pretty high title, certainly an option. But the guy I really want to hone in on is Sean Duggan or Dugan, however you say his name. Now, as weird as it sounds, I don't know if there's such a thing as too young when you're talking about a linebackers coach, potentially, but you want to talk about a fast freaking riser. In 2015, he was a graduate assistant at Boston College. The next year, he's the linebackers coach for Hawaii, and then two years later, the linebackers coach for UMass. 2019, he's a graduate assistant at Ohio State. I don't know how that works, but he's there the same time Jeff Halfley is there. Jeff Halfley gets hired at Boston College, and he brings Sean Duggan, we'll just say, to Boston College with him to be the linebackers coach. The guy was an assistant for one year and gets brought in with him to be the linebackers coach. Um, Three years later, so 2020, 2021, 2022, he's a linebackers coach. In 2023, after the defensive coordinator leaves, he promotes two guys, one of them being... A, I guess at the time, because he's 30 right now, it would have been a 29-year-old Sean Duggan to be the co-defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach. That is pretty wild. So you want to talk about a really fast riser, plus a guy that was, again, he was there with him. In Ohio. He's basically followed him since 2019. He was there uh, working under him uh, at Ohio State, followed him to Boston College, has been there the whole time. I think it makes perfect sense that he would be a number one to come over and be the new linebackers coach. We'll see about Azar Abdul-Rahim. It feels weird to bring both defensive coordinators, but at the same time, eh, why not? I mean, you can go be from being a DB coach. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's got some defensive coordinator opportunities elsewhere, but Boston College wasn't very good, and you were the defensive coordinator. Oh, wait, no, he can't. He accepted a job at Maryland. Okay, delete that. Fixes that problem. Didn't want him anyways. He's over at Maryland. Could have had a DB job here, bub. If you look at the defensive line coach that was brought in, he, was, he brought in Randy Melvin to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Randy Melvin was not the defensive line coach for Rutgers the year prior, or, you know, the, 
the year prior, but two years prior. So he did bring in a guy from Rutgers to be the defensive line coach. In this case, that would be Vince Ogabasi. He's still sitting over there, still with the same title. So if you're curious, another young guy, 37 years old. He actually was a professional football player for a little while. Um, By that, I just mean he didn't actually take any snaps, but he was with the Hartford Colonials in 2010 and then the Washington Redskins in 2010. Um, But I I don't think he was anything more than either an off-season guy or a practice squad guy, but whatever. He played, right? So then as a coach, he was a Duke grad assistant, um, Ohio State grad assistant, 2013, 14, and 15, which not exactly overlap, but still there's the similarities there. The San Francisco 49ers, 2016 and 17. So both of those years are when Halfley was there, and he was the assistant defensive line coach. So I think that lines up pretty easily. Now, the DB coach was a little bit different. DB coach was an older guy. We're talking about Tampa Bay. They brought in a 61-year-old guy. He's a college guy, but he's got a ton of DB experience. I think we went through this already, but started in 1983. uh, App State, Minnesota, Austin P, Murray State, East Carolina, UNLV, Notre Dame, Eastern Michigan, Louisville, Alabama, A&M, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina, and then was LSU from 2009 to 2011, then got picked up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So how in the world do you go about finding that guy when there's no overlap between Greg Schiano and this guy? Well, simple. He was a coach of LSU the year before. LSU had the second best defense. Do you know who had the second best defense this past year? Strangely enough, Ohio State. And this one actually works out quite well also because another guy that's a little bit up in age, not quite in his 60s, although I don't think he was in his 60s at the time then either, which because I don't think he's been 60 for like 10 years or 12 years. So actually, they'd be actually very... How old was he? Because now I'm freaking out. (laughs) Ron Cooper was 51. The current guy in question is 52. Do you know who he is? JJ does. His name is Tim Walton. Can't believe how perfectly this lined up. So Shiano grabbed the DB coach for the number two defense in football, who is 51 years old. We're going to grab the DB coach for the number two defense in football, who's 52 years old, by the name of Tim Walton. But it kind of goes beyond that, not necessarily parallels, aside from the fact that, you know, there are parallels, but it's, it's, it's actually kind of better. There's the Ohio State connection, not directly, but still Ohio State. But before that, you know where he was? He was in the NFL. He's an NFL guy. He was the cornerbacks coach for the Jaguars 2019 through 2021. He was the cornerbacks coach for the Giants 2015, 16, 17. He was defensive coordinator for the Rams for one year in 2013. So he's an aged, experienced guy, Lions, uh, 2009 through 2012. And before that, college, he was in college for a long time. So I'm, uh, I'm sticking that one right there. Now, digging much deeper than this, I don't know that I can necessarily do that. Obviously, there's probably going to be... Um, well, I mean, you had Jeff Halfley, for exa- example, as the assistant defensive backs coach. But trying to dig that deep, first of all, I don't think it's all that interesting. Finding the next Tem Lukabu, who's the defensive assistant, or Brian Cox, the defensive assistant. Actually, he may have been the assistant D-line coach. There's the, the, uh, some dispute here. It's not interesting, and it's hard to find these guys um, on, the, on the staffs of college teams and whatnot. But there you go. Defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley. The defensive line coach is Vink, uh, Vink, Vince Ogabasi. Linebackers coach is Sean Duggan. And our secondary uh, slash DB coach is Tim Walton. Now, how exactly the coaches will break down, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have like a, like if defensive line is like 
the interior and exterior guys? Do you usually have like a pass rush specialist? I don't know. Maybe you got a cornerback coach or something. I don't know. Who cares? But there you go. And you're welcome. Either way, um, I'm pretty excited to learn about some of the guys that will be brought in. I do think that there's going to be some guys from Boston College that will probably come over and maybe from some other stops. Remember, he's got connections with um, Sala and some of those guys. And if he's going to try to bring sort of that style of defense, it might be beneficial actually to kind of go in that direction rather than reaching back into college, reach in the direction you're going. I'm not saying that's the case, but if, if you want to try to get caught up to speed, kind of similar to what we saw with Christian Parker and Vance Joseph, where it's like, okay, here's what I do. Here's what, you know, you guys do. Let's try to blend these. If we're going to try to get caught up to speed on some NFL stuff, you probably want some some NFL guys. So watch for the Jets and the 49ers and those types of places to see if they might reach in that direction. And of course, Matt LaFleur has similar connections, so they can reach out. But I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.